Yo. Welcome to the Autumn Miles Show. Autumn is a best-selling author, popular speaker, and wife who is obsessed with her husband and four crazy kids. She is also the CEO of the Autumn Miles Ministry, as well as a lipstick and lash enthusiast. Autumn's vision is to speak to the culture with bold truth and challenge you to act in raw faith. Here's Autumn Miles. Hey, hey, it's your girl, Autumn Miles. How are you doing out there today? We love y'all so much. And um, I've got, a, I've got a, a guest today on the show. I want to go ahead and get to her. She's re- just released a book called Relentless. And my team kind of knows what to look for whenever we are booking guests. And they know that the word relentless is one that I like. And I believe you're going to like it as well. I want to introduce my guest to you today. Her name is Michelle Couchette. Are we saying this right, Michelle? We, we tried to look it up. How do you say your last name? Oh, well, it depends on who you ask. I married into it. So we say, I say Couchette, like hat. Couchette. Hat. That's really funny because I actually believe I offered that as an option before we went on air. And I was looked at very judgmentally by my assistant <laughs> so anyway Kushat it is okay um you, you got it so you have written this book called relentless the unshakable presence of a god who never leaves and i am betting as being an author myself that is pregnant with a lot of meanings from your own life um i love i love the i love the tag there the unshakable presence of a god who never leaves i feel like i've been hashtagging emmanuel on all of my insta on all of my social media just because i feel like people forget that he never never leaves but why is it michelle that when we're faced with the difficulty we immediately assume he's gone well, we equate the presence of pain with the absence of God, right? We assume that if we feel any kind of pain, whether emotional, physical, spiritual pain, relational pain, that that must be evidence of God's absence. Why uh, do we do that? Why? I don't... <laughs> well, it... part of it's because that's what pain does. Pain's a liar. It tries to convince us that something's wrong with us. Well, first of all, pain is actually more of a gift than we realize. If without pain, we wouldn't know that there was something wrong with our bodies. We wouldn't know that our finger is in the fire on the stove. We wouldn't know all of those things. So pain is actually a gift. However, those of us who live in the great old United States of America, we have grown accustomed and even entitled to a sense of comfort. Mm. We really believe we wake up every day and we believe that it is part of our um, our expectation that we are entitled to a day of comfort. And if we don't feel comfortable, we will go to whatever life to make sure we're comfortable. So in some sense, we've lost the theology of pain. We've lost, mm. we've lost the value of pain. And so naturally, we see pain as the enemy. And so we equate the presence of pain with the absence of God, that he must have left us. It is. I'm so glad you wrote this book. P.S. My hat's off to you. I think this is a message that is not being shared um, like it should. We're all about the goodness of God, which God is good. God is love. Mm -hmm. God is all of those things. But we're forgetting that pain is a wise teacher, just like uh, just like. uh, uh, Well, I said, but, you know, I, I have a feeling you're going to say, I want you to tell me relentless. The unshakable presence of a God who never leaves. Why did you write the book Relentless? Tell me your story behind the uh, the concept. All right. So originally I wrote this as a means to unravel 
my own confusion about faith. So my story is very complicated. It started out pretty simply. Uh, I was raised by two parents who became Christians when I was one year old. Uh, and so I've never really known life without Jesus in it. Jesus has always been the, the most important person in my life. I was raised to love him and follow him. And I had this assumption, whether I was taught this or I just stumbled into believing it, that if I did everything right, that God would give me a good life. Mm. Uh, and that worked really well until I was in my 20s. And from my 20s until now, I'm 48 now, um, I've had a series of consecutive crises and losses that would make your toes curl. Mm. I went, I was married to a pastor, ended up divorced, was a single mother, remarried, had a step family, blended family, which is his own. I could write a whole book on that, or wow. 10. Uh, then uh, right in the middle of that, I was diagnosed with cancer mm. of the tongue. I'm a speaker, a communicator, and on a Tuesday before Thanksgiving, when I was 39 years old, I was told I had cancer of the tongue, the kind of cancer that's extremely rare and reserved for mostly, you know, 75-year-old men who have smoked all their life. Oh, my. Which I was, I, I was neither 70, a man, or a smoker, so it made no <laughs> sense. <laughs> wow. mm. uh, and, and what ended up happening is over the course of um, five years, that cancer would come back two more times. I would have it a total of three times. At the end of which, uh, doctors uh, basically made no guarantees that I would live. They mm. gave me two weeks to get my affairs in order, after which time they did a nine-hour surgery where they removed two-thirds of my tongue, cut my arm open from wrist to elbow to take out blood vessels and tissue to rebuild some kind of semblance of a tongue, cut open my neck and my leg to kind of put all the pieces of Humpty Dumpty back together again. Oh, my. Uh, and then after that surgery, then they started... Um, pretty severe chemotherapy and external radiation. What doctors said is they basically threw everything at me, took me to the brink of death in the hopes of maybe saving my life. Wow. Uh, and so, and in the middle of all of that, my husband and I got a phone call from a relative who knew of three children who had been raised in a drug home, an abuse and neglect home, and we were asked to take them. So we went and took in three kids that come from trauma themselves and have this very complicated family full of people that have experienced trauma. So, so all that to say, um, my following <laughs> Jesus did not translate to a nice, easy life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do we do with that? And so like the title of the book, Relentless. My circumstances were relentless. Mm. The pain never stops. The suffering never stops. I mm. live with um, permanent functional disabilities and chronic pain for the rest of my life. Mm. So I needed to know if I was going to be in this kind of pain and suffering forever, I needed to get back to um, the truth of, do I believe God is real? Mm. If he's real, do I believe he's good? And if he's real and good, can I trust him even if he doesn't take the pain away? Mm. Mm. And this is, so this is where relentless came from. So let me ask you then those questions. Um, why did you find out? I mean, <laughs> I already know the answers, but I feel, here's the thing. We, we, uh, you, you, you've already said there, there is just this theology of pain, this theology of suffering. Um, and I know that a lot of people are leaned in. They're listening to you right now. They're saying, wow, cancer three times. Wow. Divorce, all of this stuff. So 
from someone who has been through probably more than most people have been through, what have you learned about the Lord? I have learned that his love for me is even more determined and more relentless than my worst circumstances. Mm. That's what I needed. I needed to know that God was so dogged in his determination to love me and rescue me that no amount of my questions or doubts or wrestling or confusion or even anger at my circumstances was going to cause him to pull away. Mm. In fact, what I learned, and this is the secret, this is the secret which kind of is mind-blowing. It seems counterintuitive, but God's presence is where the pain is. Yeah. Mm. God's presence has always been where the pain is. If you, I had to go back to the Bible and literally read it from front to back, mm. and I searched for every evidence of who God really is. Yeah. I needed to put that, I needed to put those facts up against my experience to see which one was more true. Yeah. Mm. And I discovered that in every case throughout all the pages of Scripture, but also in the pages of my own story, God's presence has always been where the pain is. Yeah, yeah. I would I would agree with you 100%. I've had a really not good <laughs> past. <laughs> a lot of pain, a <laughs> lot of pain. And actually, I was asked, and I think we did a show on this last week, Dan. I think we did. When someone said, um, what would you what would you say about suffering? What have you learned about God uh, um, during suffering? I've been divorced. I was a victim of domestic violence for years, kicked out of my church, a bunch of stuff. And yes. I said, um, it is the greatest gift God has ever given me. And I really yes. do believe that, you know, because looking back now, I mean, the de- you talk about the presence of God being right there in that pain. That is that is when that's that's where you feel it the most. That's where um, I don't know the sweetest, most intimate moments I've had with the Lord have been on the days when I had the most against me. And um, yes. wow, that'll yes. preach right there. Amazing. What what do you have yeah. to say to that? Well, I, you know, there are. I, I'm just the same. I mean, I've told people this for years that as much as as there's no part of me that wishes to go through it again. The amount of physical pain I've endured is more than I thought a human could bear and still live. Mm. I've had some pretty extreme physical pain. So there's no part of me that wishes for that. And I'm not going to pretend that I wish for that. At the same time, at the same time, if God gave me a chance to go back in time and not, and not go through it, but I'd also lose what I've gained, I wouldn't go back because Mm. what I have gained over these experiences has so radically changed me has so radically helped me to understand the heart and nature of God just a little bit more. And it created so many opportunities for me to enter in and be present with other people in places of suffering that there's no way I would give this up. It's been, it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. Mm, so beautiful. Okay. So in your book, uh, Relentless, um, by the way, I have Michelle Couchat on my show this morning and she is I feel like you're just serving some hope to people today who just just went to the doctor and have had had a terrible because unless you've walked through something hard, it's really hard 
to minister to people going through something hard, you know, like, um, that's kind of, that's one of the great benefits. I think of the things that have happened in my life. I know that if people know that I've gone through that, they're more likely to listen to me. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It kind of puts you on the same level playing ground. Like all my domestic, domestic violence survivors out there. I, I just, I met someone the other day and I looked at her and didn't even know her didn't even know her name. And I said, we're sisters, aren't we? And she said, yes. yes. And it yeah. just it brings you together with someone. So you, you talk about going back at back and forth through the Bible, looking and you in the book, relentless, the unshakable presence of a God who never leaves. You talk about 12 markers, the Joshua 12 yes. stones for all you Bible scholars out there. I love that portion of scripture. Tell me what you found. Um, and what is the 12 markers that you write about in the book? Well, as you mentioned, this is all based on the premise of of the story of um, Joshua and the Israelites crossing the Jordan River. Behind that, what we have to do is when we are in places of pain and suffering, emotion is going to cloud our perspective. Pain is going to cloud our perspective. So we need to build up an arsenal of evidence, so basically facts, Mm. tangible facts, tangible truth of God's character and reality and promise and presence before the worst thing happens. Mm -hmm. So that way, when we are buried by pain and suffering, we can go back and look at this evidence of God's presence. Well, Joshua's story is all about the Israelites crossing the Jordan. The Jordan was running at flood stage. It was impossible for them to cross, but they needed to get to the other side of the Jordan to get to the promised land, this place that God had said, I'm taking you to this good place. It's going to be amazing. But they were still in crisis, right? They had been through slavery. They've been through the wilderness. They've been through all kinds of horrible stuff. And now they have this river to cross. Mm. Well, God, the moment the priests walk into the middle of the Jordan with the Ark of the Covenant, uh, God caused the waters to part, and all of the Israelites crossed the Jordan River to the other side, meaning that they were well on their way to the Promised Land. But before God let them move on, he told them to go back to the middle of the Jordan and pull out their rocks, 12 rocks from the center of the Jordan that they would have never seen or had yeah. access to without having gone through this horrible circumstance, mm. right? Yeah. And he wants them to set it up as an altar. So throughout the pages of Relentless, I encourage every reader to pull out 12 stones from their life to set up as markers of God's presence with them through the worst of circumstances. Mm. So that way, when the worst happens... They can go back to those 12 stones and say, remember what God did here? Remember what God did here? Remember his faithfulness here? Remember his promise here? And that our pain then won't cause us to be blind to the reality of God's presence. I love that. My second book was called I Am Rahab. So I I wrote all about right after crossing the Jordan. <laughs> yes, I wrote exactly. All about Rahab and um, wrote an entire book about it. Uh, so this portion, and you know, you know, based on that story, that the Jordan wasn't the last difficulty they were going to encounter. That's right. why that altar was so important. Yes. So when Rahab and the Israelites, when they were dealing with all of that, they had somewhere to go back to, mm-hmm. and they could base their faith on God's history and not their own. Yes. 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 If he brought me through that, 
He'll bring yes. me through this. This is tangible evidence and tangible proof. This is why God's word is so incredibly important. What you are saying right now, these these 12 markers, um, 12 memory stones, if you will, uh, they are so incredibly important and you, fi- you can find them directly located in the pages of scripture. I cannot tell you how many Bible verses I go back to on a regular basis when something yes. comes up against me and says, nope, this is the truth. This is what God says. And this is what he's told me. And this is what I'm going to stand on. And it you're, it really, really does change your perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. What absolutely. Is- I mean, I've, I have no guarantee that I'll live a full life. I mean, I've gone through cancer three times. And like I said, with all of the radiation damage and everything to my face and my neck and my chest, it's very hard to just do daily activities like eating and talking and swallowing. I have no guarantee. And yet I can again and again, because of wrestling through the suffering, I know, I know that my God loves me. Mm. I know that he will not let me go. I know that whatever may come, he will walk me through. It will not be easy, but he will walk me through it until I see him face to face and all things are made new. Amen. I want to talk about doubt. Your book talks about it. Uh, Michelle Kashat is my guest today, the author of the book Relentless, The Unshakable Presence of a God Who Never Leaves. What do I do if, what do I do about doubt, Michelle? What do we do? What do, what, what do, we do about doubt? Because doubt often accompanies um, bad reports, relationships when someone's betrayed you. Divorces, doubt. Is God really good? Is God really there? What do we What do we do with that, Michelle? What do we do with that? Well, first of all, we need to we need to uh, reframe doubt. For so long, we have shamed people for having questions and doubts as mm. a sign of their lack of faith. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is Frederick Beekner says that doubt is the ant in the pants of faith. It keeps us moving. <laughs> doubt is actually one of the greatest ways to strengthen your faith as long as you, uh, as long as it is productive, Mm -hmm. as long as doubt doesn't become a nice, comfortable place where you set up house and just say, I just don't know that I believe and you just never search out the truth. Mm -hmm. Doubt, when you start wrestling with questions, you're using your brain, you're Mm -hmm. thinking, you're wrestling with hard things. When you allow doubt to lead you to a deeper Church of God, it, he uses those things to build up your faith. Yeah. When doubt is dangerous is when it becomes complacent, Yeah. Mm-hmm. when it becomes a fad. There's a, a current trend of people that feel like it's really cool to say, well, I don't know what I believe in. Oh, uh, don't get me started on and, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it's so cool. But that's like saying, hey, I'm lost in the woods, and I'm going to just be cool and stay lost in the woods. Yeah. Nobody would stay lost in the woods. Nobody would do that. Um, being lost isn't the end of the world if you keep searching for a way out. Mm. Uh, nobody would go shut up camp. I live in Colorado. Nobody would go climb a mountain, stay lost in the woods, and just say, I'm just going to stay here and let the wild al- animals and elements take me. No, they would, they would send out calls for help. They would look for a trail. They would make sure they have the right protection. They would do what they need to do to get back home. That's what doubt does. Mm. It leads us to a deeper faith and a closer, um, a closer, more intimate relationship with God himself. And those doubts, when you have those doubts, that's when you go back to those memory stones. 
Those those mm-hmm. those things where you say, oh wait, no, wait, look at how God came through here. This is the same good God in my in my uh, situation. Um, let's well, talk. But we uh, think that, let's let me just say one more thing. Yeah, we think we want answers, right? We yeah. think we want answers. We want everything to be explained and everything to make sense. But the moment we'd be able to explain everything and make sense of everything, God would be too small. Yeah. We don't need answers. We need presence. Mm. Oh, that'll preach right there. Say that again. Right we don't need. We don't, we, we don't need answers. We need presence. Mm. That is so good. And we need to learn to be comfortable with mystery because mystery tells us that there is a God far bigger than us. Yeah. Far more capable of love than us who is with us and knows the way home. Mm. Man, I love that. That was like a meatloaf sandwich right there. That was me. <laughs> okay. I think that's the first time I've been told in an interview. I was <laughs> well, I'm the happiest have... I've ever been right now. You've never been on the Autumn Mile show. You never know what's going to come out of my mouth. I want to talk to you about God's silence uh, as well. I think uh-huh. this, these you, you hit some really good points in this book. Uh, what do we do with it? God is silent. Okay, I can't silent. hear him. Where is he? He's left me. I'm going to quit going to church. I'm not going to read my Bible anymore. God hates me. Okay. <laughs> help, help that person out there that God oh, is silent. Oh, man. And that's hard because there's been a long season where it felt like God was silent. He did not answer. I mean, you could read the book of Job. Yeah. Job felt like God was silent for quite some time. And it was it was nerve-wracking. Yeah. Um, and so that's where we have to... In that moment, ultimately what it boils down to in those seasons, there will be seasons where God feels silent. Mm. Uh, it's just it's the nature of relationships. There will be seasons where he feels silent. So in that moment, what it all comes down to is trust. Mm. Am I going to trust him or not? Mm. Am I going to believe what he has always said is true? Am I going to believe what I say I believe or not? Mm. And we have to choose to base our trust on his history or our current circumstance. Ultimately, that's what it, I mean, that's really what it boils down to. What are we going to believe? Mm, yeah. I feel like this is, um, you know, you, you, we've already covered doubt. We've already covered uh, suffering. But silence just gets people. Well, I, I don't feel yeah. anything from the Lord. And I mean, God's silence is not proof that he is absent. He's there. He's just silent. I wonder sometimes if our difficulty with silence is our current American internet crazy social media age. We are so used to being able to throw something out into the internet and get a ping back right away that we've we've lost our ability Mm. to be secure enough in who God is and secure enough in who we are to allow there to be silence. Come on with that, Michelle. That was a word. That was a tweet. You need to tweet that out later today. Um, okay, let me let me um, let me just kind of wrap up. I this might be a little off topic, but I see that you have adopted children as well. You're a blended family of six. We you have bio stepchildren and foster to adopt children. I have two biological children and two adopted children. You want to talk about that for a second? Are they are they featured yeah. in the book? Yeah, so uh, a lot of the theme in the book is talking about how uh, that the gospel is the solution to humanity's trauma. Mm. So having adopted kids who came from trauma, I did a lot of research on how it impacts um, Mm. the brain, their ability to connect and relationships, and I've gone through medical trauma myself. So I've had to do a lot of time studying what happens to the human body and brain and heart and relationships when you go through trauma. And what I discovered is that 
that really the whole story of the gospel is about God's um, God's perfect plan to redeem human trauma, right? Mm-hmm. The Garden of Eden was all about trauma, about yeah. separated relationships. And that, you know, if you have adopted kids, you know the one, the one secret to helping kids heal from trauma is the presence of one stable, significant other. Yeah. Someone who pushes in and doesn't pull away. Mm. Someone who connects, doesn't withdraw. Mm. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So as a, as a foster adopt mom, when I'm learning, and it's not easy, by the way, people like to make foster adoption sound glamorous. It's not. <laughs> it's hard. It's ministry. Right. And uh, especially when you have kids that have been severely abused, neglected. Mm. Um, what I have to realize is that what God is asking me to do with these kids is exactly what he's done with me. Mm. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he's saying, are you going to push in and love even when they're rejecting you? Or are you going to pull away? Mm. Uh, and that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. You know, the whole verse, while we were yet sinners, Christ yeah. died for us. Amen. While we were yet a hot mess, while we were yet... <laughs> broken and confused and rebellious and, and emotionally fragile and everything else. You just said, even so, yeah. I'm dying for them. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of what our role is. And as, as fellow cross bearers is to daily pick up our crosses and follow him. And, and for you and I and our other listeners who are foster adopt families, this is what it's all about. We don't do it because it's glamorous. We do it because this is what Jesus did for us. I love it. We're going to have to leave it there. Michelle Couchat, she just wrote the book, just released um, Relentless, The Unshakable Presence of a God Who Never Leaves. Michelle, I love I love it. I love your heart. I feel like we're soul sisters. Um, thank you. Thank you for being on the show today. And, uh, you know, thank you to everyone who is following along and listening today. I want you to go get this book. If, if it's not you, maybe you're on a mountaintop right now. Maybe you just got a promotion. I don't know. Uh, but we all know someone in our life that just needs some encouragement. Everybody knows someone. Um, I would pick up this book for them. Christmas is coming. It's, I don't even know how many days away it's coming. Um, stocking stuffer, gift, whatever. Give this book away. I just really feel like there's a lot of biblical truth in here. That would be very encouraging. Thank you for listening. You can catch me right back here tomorrow on The Autumn Mile Show. The Autumn Mile Show is listener supported and your donation to keep her on the air is much appreciated. To make a donation, visit autumnmiles.com. And if you make a donation of $100 or more, you'll receive an autographed copy of her book of the month. This program is underwritten by Mary Maids of Fort Worth. Your future starts now. Thanks for listening and join us next time for the Autumn Miles Show on the Word 100.7 FM.